Welcome everyone to Fresh Principles Podcast. We are your hosts. This is Trees, and I'm joined by Elliot, my brother Elliot. And today we're going to be continuing off of the theme of energy and specifically renewable energy, how to incorporate batteries into renewable energy. If you've been following us for the last several podcasts this has been the prevailing theme and we're going to continue down that direction and focusing on the battery storage side of things the energy storage side of things more broadly and try to look at different battery or energy storage mechanisms that are out there that exist and this is specifically for large-scale power generating facilities right the whole notion, just to remind everybody that might have missed the previous episode, is from the idea that when we are incorporating wind and solar into the existing electrical grid, this is not sufficient. We need to also add storage because the sun isn't always shining, the wind isn't always blowing. So for those moments, we need to have energy stored. So much like a battery, we can use it upon request. I'll let you jump in there, Elliot, with some thoughts. Yeah. How do you make unreliables reliables? And um, I think a good place to start when we want to take a, a look at what is the current state um, of uh, energy storage technologies is, uh, you know, let's go online and see what, um, you know, the mainstream media is reporting on. And so that's what I did. I went on and, you know, uh, I found a clip from CNBC. This came up within one of the f top results, you know, when you type energy storage in um, to Google. Uh, Google algorithm spits out this, and uh, th this clip was called The Future of Energy Storage Beyond Lithium-Ion. It came out on March 13th, 2020, um, and it had over 2 million views, uh, 2,355,000 to be exact. Um so, uh, yeah, let's just jump into this first clip here. Okay, clip number one. We need a good way to store energy for later, and the main option right now is lithium-ion batteries. You see them in products like Tesla's home battery, the Powerwall, and utility-scale system, the Powerpack. But though lithium-ion is dropping in price, experts say it will remain too expensive for most grid-scale applications. To get to um, battery for the electrical grid, we need to look at a further cost reduction of 10 to 20x. Right now, lithium-ion batteries just can't store more than four hours worth of energy at a price point that would make sense. Plus, they pose a fire risk, and their ability to hold a charge fades over time. To address this, there's a cadre of entrepreneurs experimenting with a variety of different solutions. Now we're seeing flow batteries, which are liquid batteries, and we're seeing other forms of storage that are not chemical or battery-based storage and each has serious potential well okay so what do you think of that music in the background it's pretty distracting <laughs> <laughs> i agree i do not like it i just see a lot of like news reports that come uh in this form have that and maybe it's a youtube thing but it's like a little hopeful beat in the background that uh, it it's uh no i'll tell you what exactly what it is it's just um people think that 
they uh, people have very short attention spans so we got to have some flashy music in the background so that uh, there's something else for the subconscious to think about before you lose your focus and get bored that's what it really is my thoughts anyways maybe the cynic in me well no i would agree and it is actually um it's funny because even the format of having you know your reporter narrator talk and then snip in these audio clips from these experts um, it, with them saying one or two lines that, you know, confirm what you're saying is is a very common uh, way of presenting information. And uh, it it can be a bit misleading. Um, but let's uh, let's mm-hmm. go back to that clip there. So she talks about, um, you know, the concept is. Lithium-ion technology for battery storage is great, um, but uh, it's got some problems uh, and limitations, Mm -hmm. she's saying. And Mm -hmm. there's some other technologies coming out. Um, So she uh, is talking, uh, well, this piece was put together, and they uh, interviewed a number of experts. So I'm going to go over a few of these experts here. So Mm -hmm. we, uh, we had William Chow. He was an associate professor in material sciences and engineering at Stanford University, or is, I should say. And he was the one that came on early in that clip and said, um, you know, uh, to get batteries for the electrical grid, we need to look at a further cost reduction of 10 to 20 times. Now, he says batteries in general. Um, The assumption could be made he's talking about lithium batteries specifically, but there's other forms of batteries that are being used for batteries. large-scale application or or energy storage uh, application in general doesn't need to be large-scale but he's saying there's a cost hurdle we need to get over and this is uh, you know okay Uh, you know and then it goes on to say um, well it's actually another professor so this is Dan Carmen professor of energy at the University of California Berkeley he says at the end there uh, now we're seeing flow batteries, which are liquid batteries, and we are seeing other forms of storage that are not chemical or battery-based storage. So he's talking about uh, flow battery technology, which are are liquid batteries. And this is a there's going to be three types of technologies that are outlined in uh, this news clip, and the three are flow batteries gravity-based storage system and thermal-based storage system and so beyond these university professors they also interviewed these ceos of specific technology companies that are focusing on um you know developing one of these systems um so they have this guy named tom stefan uh, he's a co-founder and ceo of a company named uh, Pr- uh primus power and he's fo- they're focusing on flow battery systems and then there's another guy named rob uh, Pinocchi, I might be butchering his last name. He's a co-founder and CEO of Energy Vault, which is a gravity-based storage system. And then there's Justin Briggs, co-founder and CTO um, of Antora Energy, and and they're focusing on thermal energy storage. Now I say all this because we're going to go into a further uh, clip from that same report, and uh, it will explain what these what these different systems are. So don't worry. But um, just a little bit of background before we go to the next clip. If you want to go to the next clip, go for it. Yep. So clip number two. We know today that solar PV and wind are the least expensive way to generate electricity. 
In particular, the price of solar photovoltaics has plummeted far faster than all forecasts predicted, after China flooded the market with cheap panels in the late 2000s. All the Wall Street analysts did not believe that solar was going to ever stand on its own without subsidies. Well, a few years later, even the most conservative analysts started realizing that actually solar was going to become economic in most parts of the world pretty quickly. And as solar's gotten cheaper, so too have lithium-ion batteries, the technology that powers electric vehicles, our cell phones, and laptops. And thanks to improved manufacturing techniques and economies of scale, costs have fallen 85% since 2010. Now, wind or solar plus battery storage is oftentimes more economical than peaker plants, that is, power plants that only fire when demand is high. Tesla, for example, built the world's largest lithium-ion battery in Australia, pairing it with a wind farm to deliver electricity during peak hours. But this doesn't mean lithium-ion is necessarily economical for other grid applications. We don't really see the cost structure coming down to the point where it can serve those tens to hundreds of hours applications. Basically, the market is ripe for competition. Okay, so... Before you say anything, yeah. I just want to say I fucking hate that music. <laughs> so much. <laughs> so much. It really gets on your nerves, wow. eh? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel you. So, um, this, uh, the clip begins with a quote from Tom uh, Steffen, this co-founder and CEO of... Uh, uh, Primus Power, which, like I said earlier, is a flow battery system uh, company. That that's what they're trying to make their money off of, right? And he says, um, "We know today that solar PV and wind are the least expensive way to generate electricity." Mm-hmm. And I want to say this is very likely BS. Mm-hmm. And mm. you want to talk about that more? Maybe go back to our last episode and and. And well, the last two episodes, and we can get you can get more information on that. But I look at this character, and um, I have to say, he reminded me of David Icke. Mm-hmm. You know, David Icke, the English mm-hmm. conspiracy theorist guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. His cadence, the mm-hmm. way he uh, his hands were moving, everything. I was like, this is a salesman. This is absolutely a salesman. He just he knows how to tell a good story, and this is. The story he's telling but um you know there's a lot of reasons why uh you know electrical uh electricity being generated from pv and wind have come down and it is getting cheaper but just to straight out just say it is the least expensive way um you know who knows where, Th- where? and he might have actually said more he might have expanded on this again though we're just getting a clip it of it for this report so mm-hmm. it is what it is so either he's greasy or whoever produced the clip is greasy exactly Some, somebody's got some oil someone's got some oil he's <laughs> <laughs> got that pam huh? and the next thing that mm-hmm. i noticed is um so they start talking about you know nobody thought pv would stand on its own without government subsidies and until China rolls out and manufactures a bunch of these PV and floods the market with these cheap, you know, uh, mm-hmm. solar panels. And this is a concept that I'm trying to still work out here. But it goes back to can we actually sustain this? Like if we were relying on superpowers that we know 
burn coal as their primary uh, way of generating electricity that forego certain uh, policies and human rights and uh, just general wages, um, uh, you know, proper wages and such for their workers uh, to generate cheap solar panels so that we can build affordable economic, uh, you know, uh, energy grids in the West Mm-hmm. There's something a little off to me about that. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, good job. We showed that we can actually make things very cheaply. It's like this faux sustainability. It it's re- like we want to look at it as being sustainable, but it's not. We want to think it's renewable, but it's not. It's just the facade. That's just what we're sold without getting that broader picture of that cradle to grave analysis. You hear, you'll hear that frequently nowadays. Uh, maybe not so much in the media, but you often want to do a cradle-to-grave analysis, which means from start to finish, look at the impact of your product, not just during the use, not just during the production, not just in the end, during disposal, but throughout the entire life cycle. And I, that was actually one thing that did stand out to me with that clip was that he's, he's saying that, okay, China flooded the market, okay, and that's what led to a decrease in cost. But it still negates that there were still subsidies used. It's not like they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, China flooded the market, but subsidies were still used. You bet your ass they were used, which I meant, which we mentioned actually during our last episode, which we talked about some of the subsidies that was used specifically in the Ontario government in order to guarantee fixed rates that the government would pay to producers of electricity that was made via wind or solar right so when you're talking about like subsidies like they did play a role at the end of the day yeah exactly just in in the reverse way (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so all that to say that subsidies um and china flooding the market are both at play here if we're going to look at the reduction in costs. But to say that it's only from China, they're not mutually exclusive. There's subsidies and there's China. Um, so, yeah, that, that was an interesting point that I just wanted to bring up there. Sure, yeah. And the clip ends with the reporter saying, or she's talking about uh, Tesla, Tesla building the world's largest lithium battery combined with wind uh, turbines. Um, in Australia to supply electricity for peak hours. And this was, she was saying, you know, this system kind of perhaps proved that you did, it, it's, there's cheaper ways with renewables to produce um, peak energy instead of using peak plants that were like gas powers and such, fossil fuel based, right? But then she goes on, but there's limitations um, with lithium ion, um, uh, you know, when it goes to other scripts. Yeah, they run for four hours exactly <laughs> it's cheaper to do it for four hours oh okay well is that practical again like we had these people make these statements oh it's this is a cheaper like uh, alternative okay for four hours so we're gonna build a plant that runs every four hours or you got like stack of batteries so it cascades or how's this actually gonna work and i would say that it was actually uh you know the report is critical of lithium ion mm-hmm. rightly and rightly so for that the exact reason it, it has right. limitations on these on these yeah. grid uh you know providing power for long periods of time after it's been stored 
that's where these lithium-ion batteries fall short. And then she, she goes mm-hmm. over to a quote from uh, Justin Briggs, the co-founder and CTO of uh, Antorna Energy. And he's the one trying to f- focus on doing thermal energy storage. Um, that's a business model he's basing his uh his career around, and he says, uh, we don't really see the cost structure coming down to the point where it serves those 10, 10, um, sorry, so those tens to hundreds applications. So it's very out of context, this quote, and I'm like, is he talking about lithium ion or is he talking about his own application? Because he's a specialist in thermal energy storage, not not lithium ion, uh, but, you know, so my critique has been, and it'll be throughout this report, is the experts that are critiquing the other uh you know an, the other technologies are are guys from uh, a company that are pushing a new type of technology right <laughs> it's so, competing guys yeah. competing guys obviously they're gonna be shitting on the other guy <laughs> of course that's like, what i was like I, I was like i'm like okay uh yeah but of course you're gonna shit on the other guys <laughs> yeah, like, like come on let's be real yeah like, <laughs> yeah and, and sorry where did you source this clip from it's a CNBC. Yeah, CNBC. Yeah, good job CNBC getting an unbiased source there. Yeah. Like for your freaking news. Like at least Jeez. have the uh, engineering professors comment on it, not the guy from the other uh, <laughs> other company. But even there, there's, yeah, there's issues. Like a but, neutral source as well. But anyways. Anyways. Can, can it, that's too much to expect these days, guys. Who's, who's getting who? Yeah, who are we getting? Uh, so just let me recap there. So there's three types of energy storage in a broad sense. They talk about flow battery storage systems gravity-based storage systems and thermal energy storms but what the heck are each of these things so let's go Mm. into clip three and uh she'll tell us what they are about all right clip three coming up one of the main alternatives being explored is a flow battery unlike lithium-ion flow batteries store liquid electrolyte in external tanks meaning the energy from the electrolyte and the actual source of power generation are decoupled with lithium-ion tech the electrolyte is stored within the battery itself Electrolyte chemistries vary, but across the board, these aqueous systems don't pose a fire risk, and most don't face the same issues with capacity fade. Once they scale up their manufacturing, these companies say they'll be price competitive with lithium ion. But for all their potential, flow battery companies like Primus and ESS Inc. still aren't really designed to store energy for days or weeks on end. Many of those flow battery technologies still suffer from the same fundamental materials cost challenges that make them incapable of getting to tens or hundreds of hours of energy storage capacity. Other non-lithium ion endeavors, such as the MIT spin-off Ambry, face the same problem with longer duration storage. Form Energy, a battery company with an undisclosed chemistry, is targeting the weeks or months long storage market, but commercialization remains far off. So other companies are taking different approaches entirely. Currently, about 96% of the world's energy storage comes from one technology, pumped hydro. This system is pretty straightforward. When there's excess energy on the grid, it's used to pump water uphill to a high elevation reservoir. Then when there's energy demand, the water is released, driving a turbine as it flows into a reservoir below. But this requires a lot of land, disrupts the environment, and can only function in very specific geographies. Energy Vault, a gravity-based storage company founded in 2017, was inspired by the concept, but thinks it can offer more. And so we wanted to look at solving the storage problem with something much more environmental, um, much more low cost, much more scalable, and something that could be brought to market very quickly. 
Instead of moving water, Energy Vault uses cranes and wires to move 35-ton bricks up and down, depending on energy needs, in a process that's automated with machine vision software. We have a system tower crane that's utilizing excess solar or wind to drive motors and generators that lift and stack the bricks in a very specific sequence. Then when the power is needed from the grid, that same system will lower the bricks and discharge the electricity. But some say the sheer size of the operation means it just can't be a replacement for chemical batteries. Sounds very simple. However, the energy density on those systems are very low. And so that's where we believe chemical-based storage um, still has an advantage in terms of a footprint. You can't install a gravity-based system in the city, but you'd have to install it outside and in the remote areas. Then there's thermal storage. It's still an emerging technology in this space, but it has the potential to store energy for longer than flow batteries with a smaller footprint than gravity-based systems. Berkeley, California-based Antora Energy, founded in 2017, is taking on this challenge. Basically, when there's excess electricity on the grid, that's used to heat up Antora's cheap carbon blocks, which are insulated inside a container. When needed, that heat is then converted back into electricity using a heat engine. Typically, this would be a steam or gas turbine, but Briggs says this tech is just too expensive and has prevented thermal storage solutions from working out in the past. All right, that was a bit of a long one, but um, they did an all right job uh, of covering each of those different energy storage systems. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was interesting. I had this gravity-based storage system. Um, she points out on point that it's one of the more common ones used where you basically pump water at a lower elevation up to a higher elevation when you have the excess energy, and then you let it flow back down again through a turbine to regenerate that electricity when you need it. And then it goes on to point out one specific type of company that they have a visual of this. They are essentially uh, have a crane, um, you know, stories upon stories high, mm -hmm. uh, and they are taking concrete blocks and just like literally st making a tower out of them when they have the energy and then taking down that tower on like a pulley system that then that, you know, as it's falling, that brick uh, mass, it's pulling the, the pulley and this mm -hmm. pulley is turning the turbine and generating the electricity mm -hmm. uh never seen anything like that before um that's yeah, new to me too for sure bizarre but it begins with this comment it begins with you know it talks again about the fire risk of lithium ion batteries and yeah i've heard about the risk of you know fires with lithium ion batteries but it seems to be like a reoccurring theme and like kind of like a jab at what the issue with lithium ion is and i was like isn't really a fair criticism based on all the risks that are associated with all these other storage technologies and just the general accepted risks that are associated with power generation that you point out lithium ion and the fires associated with them like there's it just seems to me it's a weird one that they've keep repeating about well that's the problem with lithium well there's other problems with lithium but why are we focusing on just the fire risk of it mm -hmm. and 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 not really clearly outlining well what are the other risks associated with these other technologies you're that are out here i yeah. it was just a weird i'm like is this a jab at elon musk and tesla and like what they're doing or is this just just some you know bad you know investigation of like what are the the downsides to lithium ion um yeah because there's ways of just jump in there there's ways of doing lithium that essentially 
takes care of those issues of combustibility or like random explosions taking place. So there are chemistries. So this involves using slightly altered chemistries, which is what batteries are, but taking advantage of different chemistries that you can incorporate that would alter this phenomenon or reduce the probability of this phenomenon taking place. So even though it might be valid in certain cases, it's still negates the fact that there are solutions that already exist for that issue. Right, right. Uh, the other thing I want to point out, and it was mentioned briefly, and I ca- I caught this on my second lesson, but they they mentioned a company called Form Energy, which is developing uh, flow batteries um, with a this is the quote uh, undisclosed chemistry, uh, which is targeting you know making batteries that that provide discharge for like the weeks to months based storage systems, um, but they say you know commercial commercialization. Uh, remains far off for that company, and I bring mm-hmm. you'll you'll hear about this company in my second clip. But they do mention this one, um, and the other part of this. Um, well, I pointed out this out earlier, but every time you heard somebody criticizing the other one, it was it was a guy from the another company that's <laughs> yeah. doing something else course, uh, throughout that. Um, Everybody's selling their own thing. That's the moral of the story there. Yeah, yeah. everybody's got something to sell. So if it sounds great great but what are they trying to sell you that they're not telling you about and everything sounds great theoretically but it like throughout it it's just like none of this stuff is proven yet and like yeah it might work on the small scale but can we really get this stuff to work larger but there is um a greater toolkit to use and i, I like that and i like that there's so some other options to uh to consider out there it's all, all based around batteries and you know, that's worth worth mentioning here uh but let's skip over to um this next video which again you know it was one of the top uh search results uh from google and of course it's from bill gates uh this one is called energy storage breakthroughs and this was actually less popular in terms of views and it's a little older it's from may 14th 2019 wait just just out of curiosity there so that clip we've essentially looked we've gone through the clip Mm -hmm. and was there any mention in that clip of hydrogen storage oh you are smart aren't you uh, you know uh, well uh, you know no there was not there was absolutely not and let's listen to what bill gates talks about and see if he he brings up this amazing thing called hydrogen okay we'll put a pin on that and continue that okay this is this clip wind and solar power generation is expanding but one challenge we face is how to store that energy when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing here are three innovative companies searching for breakthroughs to solve this challenge for the first time ever renewable power is cheaper than fossil intensive fuel sources. I mean, that's a remarkable statement. Malta's mission is to enable the supply of reliable, resilient, and affordable electricity anywhere in the world. And we're doing that by developing an energy storage technology that is long duration and cost competitive. The Malta system is very simple. On the front end, as the electricity comes in, it basically operates a heat pump what you're doing is taking the hot side and storing that in molten salt and salt stores heat very well 
and you're taking the cold side and storing that in an antifreeze solution. And then when the electricity is needed to go back out to the grid, what you're doing is basically reversing that process. Quinnet is taking the largest form of energy storage today, which is called pump hydro storage, effectively running water up and down a hill. And we're just bringing that to regions where there are no hills and it's all flat terrain. For pumped hydro storage, the majority of the cost is building the dam and constructing on the side on the top of a mountain. With Quidnet's subsurface geomechanical pump storage, we take that cost and bring it down about an order of magnitude. Quidnet facility essentially involves a surface pond, a mechanical room, and a well. When the system is charging, water is pulled from the pond and pumped down into the well and kept at high pressure. When we're discharging, the high pressure water is allowed to come back up through the well, flowing through the turbine and back into the pond. Form Energy's bidirectional power plants are quite different from other kinds of energy storage. Lithium-ion is the one that most people know, whereas lithium-ion batteries are fantastic sprinters. You would never take a sprinter and ask that sprinter to run a marathon. In our case, what we are going after is a very different kind of race, and that marathon racer is a different electrochemical challenge to smooth out those intermittencies over long periods of time, days, weeks, or potentially even months. The bidirectional power plant operates under the same principles that any energy storage device does. You have a source of charging and then it's discharged according to the value maximizing algorithm that, that we have developed. We use earth abundant elements and we use elements which are non-toxic and very benign. All right, so hydrogen mentioned there? Nope. Nope. I thought this was odd. I, I, I was like, I got to the end of the, both of these videos and I was like, but wait, what about hydrogen? <laughs> like, why, why is this not mentioned? And, you know, going back to our uh, previous podcast and basically, you know, pointing out there's so many uh, places in Europe that are using hydrogen for energy storage. Like, this is not an unproven technology. Um, just why is it not here as, a, as being discussed? Is it simply because it's not new? Well, it is kind of new to the u.s and canada so i feel like it's fairly it should be fairly mentioned in fact of these three categories it's kind of its own thing um and yet no discussion from cnbc about it no discussions from bill gates in 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 this in these two clips now they might have touched on this in other reports but this is what it is these are your top results here okay the companies that they highlight go over the three the same three uh, energy storage systems that uh, was discussed in the CNBC. Well, uh, Malta there was doing the thermal-based system, which mm -hmm. was pretty cool. You know, they had the heat pump, and they're using the the heat side to be stored in salt, and using the cold side to be stored in antifreeze. There was. Uh, I have a question about that. Is that mostly for heat though? So would that actually be generating power, or would that be just heat? No, it's for electrical. So the heat pump would. I, I'm. I, I'm not a specialist in heat pumps, but basically the idea would be through the movements of, of the heat, the transferring of it, it is, in fact, turning something that generates electricity, and they're okay. going back and forth on that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Uh, the Quidnet Energy is using the gravity-based system, which was not a crane and not, um, not pumping water up to a higher elevation, but taking water at... A, a, like a normal elevation, your pond water at the surface, and pumping it into the ground at high pressures and then when you need to 
pull water out of the ground again you just open the valve and the water shoots out because of high pressure comes back up the well and it powers the turbine so he was saying this is actually brings down the cost of this instead of you having to build this big channel that goes up and down or, or use geology um like having hills and stuff near you to have the system available you could just you know drill a well put your water with high pressure down bring it back up was the idea and then the last one uh which is form energy which is mentioned in the cnbc one and this is that battery system that flow battery system that has that proprietary undisclosed chemistry um and they're trying to tackle you know batteries that can provide storage for for larger utility scales and uh, I bring this up only because it kind of highlights the difference in approach of the technologies like energy form. I'm assuming they're trying to keep this as a trade secret. Basically they don't create a pattern for it. They just keep it all under lock and key. Nobody really knows what their formula is in the attempts to have something that might have an edge in the market. Um, but uh, it was, uh, I thought that was interesting and I don't know. Um, any thoughts from those uh, those clips? I think, I mean, my main thought is that these are seem pretty promising. These are interesting storage technologies. And, I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, like, for example, using uh, the, the, the water in a pressurized well. I mean, I've heard of that. That's been done. Hmm. Or, for example, these thermal storage systems. Uh, I've heard of that as well and it's been done and I just wish that we'd have more development of these and it's just my, my question I guess comes back down to cost and what is the cost of these and these things have been known for a while like the these technologies I remember in my in undergrad hearing about pretty much all these except for that brick one or like that that one where it's like boulders or whatever coming down off the crane uh, off yeah. the crane which doesn't sound very scalable to be honest like, you might, i don't know it sounds like you can get like a pretty good amount of power like for like your house i don't know like with something like that i don't know but um my my main thoughts are that why is hydrogen not mentioned when it's probably the oldest technology out of all of these if anything and it also has the most promise because similar to electricity in the sense that it's a secondary energy uh, form, right? Electricity comes from the primary form of nuclear or um, whatever it might be, right? The, 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 so when we look at primary energy, we have, for example, a gas power plant. We have nuclear power plant. We have are solar so that's that's a primary energy but then the primary energy from those is converted into a secondary energy which is a storage in order to get it to your final form which is light or whatever this microphone that we're talking into but i just want to highlight that point is that it's a secondary energy storage that is what electricity is and that's what hydrogen is as well. It's a secondary form of energy storage. None of these other ones are, I mean, these, these other ones are kind of secondary in that sense as well, but they, they do lack that transportability aspect of it. Like hydrogen can be moved around. These things are more stationary. stationary. So to me, that's just another benefit that you get from hydrogen as well. 
and not only that, but it adds uh, a potential vehicle infrastructure that you can use for transportation. So that's another benefit that you could get where you could develop a potential grid, a vehicle fleet that's based off of hydrogen-powered vehicles, which you alluded to earlier in the episode. But um, Toyota in Japan is really at the forefront with the Toyota Mira, I believe is the one is what it's called. And they have, I believe, the second, they're on the second or third generation right now. And they made a lot of developments of it. But one of the things that's lacking is the hydrogen grid or the infrastructure necessary in order to refuel because if you have a vehicle you're going to need to refuel eventually well it's kind of like a chicken and egg scenario do you get the vehicles first or do you get the grid first Mm. right so there's another huge benefit associated with hydrogen but (laughs) which you don't get with any of these as i see and again it's out of the picture why i don't know why is it out of the picture i and i don't have an answer but Mm -hmm. Let me speculate in two different areas. Okay. It first is it safety related? You know they're focused on the exploding, you know, lithium fires and stuff like that. Hydrogen has some safety issues with it, but is this why they're not mentioning it, or is it that Bill Gates and Elon Musk do not have a horse in this race? Bingo. I think that might just be the. <laughs> yeah. uh, reason let's, right there let's be real. yeah that's that's really what it is like they're not pushing it because they don't got a stake in it like let's let's be real they're not pushing it because they don't have a stake in it they don't have money in it so why are they going to push it it's unfortunate to think in those terms but you've heard elon musk actively say that he doesn't like hydrogen he thinks it's dumb it's stupid uh, but Meanwhile, it holds so much potential, which is, you know, many researchers are, have spoken about the potential of hydrogen and the development that it needs. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I have uh, some clips on uh, Elon's uh, criticisms of hydrogen, but I have those. F- that will be in a, another podcast there. Okay. Can um, we continue? Yeah, uh, so let's now look at um, a TED Talk, well, a TEDx Talk. Um, this was done by Tom Gar, and it was called uh, Energy Stores, the Key to Clean, Reliable Electricity for Everyone. Now, uh, Tom Gar is the Director of Research and Development at the Organic Energy Storage Laboratory at Michigan State University Biochemistry Institute, Holland. His current research is focused on using organic material, materials for various types of electrical energy storage. In 2015, he co-founded a tech startup, Jolt Energy Storage Technologies. Um, Jolt Energy's concept for organic Uh, organic redox flow batteries empower utilities to bring more new renewable energy resources onto the grid. I bring him up, I find him an interesting speaker, and I like a concept of uh, a large-scale flow battery that is made up of um, materials that are are more environmentally friendly in terms of not needing them to be mined from different countries. Is it a possibility that 
you could, this is actually possible to develop a flow battery that can be used on the grid scale that doesn't contain cobalt, lithium, but relies more on salt, water, and some organic uh, materials. You know, this could be a pipe dream, but I thought his comments on this whole situation were interesting. So let's take a first clip at uh, uh, look at his first bit of this, his TED talk here. Okay, clip number five coming up. So for those of us lucky enough to live in an area where we have reliable electrical power, where does it come from? Mostly, it comes from burning stuff. In the US, about a third of our electrical energy comes from natural gas. About a third comes from coal. And yes, we still use coal. And no, there's, not, there's no such thing as clean coal. Um, about 20% comes from nuclear energy. And the remainder comes from a variety of sources, hydroelectric, geothermal, solar, and wind. But what happens when we, when we flip that light switch? Well, we expect the light to come on immediately, right? But the electrical grid actually has very little energy storage for uh, direct electrical energy storage. We can store huge mounds of coal, we can store natural gas in tanks, but we're not very good at storing electrical energy itself. The US maintains a petroleum, strategic petroleum reserve, about 700 million barrels of oil. That's enough if we were to lose all our ability to produce domestically, all our ability to import oil, that's enough to last for 45 days. Our electric storage capacity, about 30 minutes. So when you turn on that light switch, what happens is the grid operator injects a little bit more natural gas in the gas turbine, it spins a little faster, generates a little bit more electricity, and the light comes on. Our utilities have to match, because there's no storage, our utilities have to match their production to consumption. And they do that all the time. That makes it really hard to bring wind and solar onto the grid, doesn't it? Wind and solar aren't always there. If we don't have a way to store them efficiently, then they're of little use. Most of it goes to waste. So it's really hard to incorporate it onto the grid. So how much electricity do we use? Globally, it's about 21,000 terawatt hours per year. Nobody knows what a terawatt hour is. But you, you probably know what calories are, more or less. So I converted it for you. I don't know what that number is, but it's big. <laughs> it's really, really, really big. Okay, so um, he puts the number on the screen on his slide. That is uh, 30 with 15 zeros after it. So uh, mm. I looked into it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you nine zeros is a billion, uh, 12 zeros is a trillion, and uh, quadrillion is 15 zeros. So it's 30 quadrillion calories. Um, which is a ridiculous number, and it's hilarious to see him do that because we mm -hmm. do this on our podcast. We try to frame things in another light to make them useful uh, to our, our mm -hmm. listeners and to conceptualize them. Yeah. And we were against using analogies in some cases because they just they don't fulfill the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And he attempts to do this, but it's almost in a backward sense. Like, evil, <laughs> what yeah. does it mean to have 30 quadrillion calories? Uh, yeah, you know, nothing. Nothing. But uh, pretty, uh, pretty jokes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, um, 
you know, that clip there is just a setup. He said a lot of things we've already covered on this podcast about the current state of, um, you know, what is the energy grid in the state uh, in the U.S. made up of in terms of the different proportions that are allocated to coal, natural gas, and nuclear. And he also out- outlined, you know, what what are the realities of trying to you know store store energy and and what is the current situation? I thought he brought up some new information about the reserves the U.S. had that I was unaware of about them stockpiling basically uh, X number of barrels of of, of of fuel and coal so they can basically power for 45 days, um, which was interesting. But uh, other than that, that was uh, just the beginning of this clip. So he continues in the next clip, but if you have something to say, go ahead and jump right in. Yeah, no, I, I, just, I think those flow the flow battery concept is pretty interesting. Um, my questions, though are in relation to the chemical so if we're talking about a chemical that's not harmful i'm looking at a list right now and i don't know if any of these fulfill that criteria or because ultimately we still have to mine for these salts right if we if it's a bromide salt we still got to mine that salt right? right and to make a solution it's a mixture so we got to mine stuff independently come together and mix it into one nice little concoction so in terms of the environmental benefits of it um i'm unsure of from that side just because of the the, the actual components of the salt or of whatever it is because ultimately it needs to be mined so that just goes back to mining mm. but then maybe environmental benefits from load stabilization which would be reducing the waste of energy and electricity so those are of course environmental benefits but i'm also looking at for example flow batteries normally considered for relatively large large being one kilowatt hour to one megawatt hour of stationary applications so that's a very low amount like if we're going to incorporate these flow batteries one kilowatt hour to one ten megawatt hours that's uh that's not that's not a lot that's that's very little you know what and um i don't have the numbers in terms of what are the specifications around this guy's concept of flow battery Mm -hmm. in the previous videos though there was that company um form energy that Mm -hmm. specifically was trying to advance it beyond what you just gave me there so they are there are people that think flow cells can uh fill the gap of this grid size energy storage now can they can that can that be done with the same um chemical makeup that this guy's suggesting i don't know that and i don't even know if it's necessary that i'm he's saying that it's not um not uh i might have misled you there by saying that it doesn't have to do with mining it's more that it doesn't rely on lithium cobalt um or lead which were common battery components that are just um they have their environmental impacts a lot of substances even naturally occurring ones have their environmental impact even in it just by the nature of, of, of concentrating them and or exposing them to the surface that's all there but it's just like okay if we could have an alternative out there that didn't rely on lead lithium or cobalt that was a flow cell that could be used to for grid size that's interesting could have could have some benefits yeah yeah Yeah, because uh, i mean uh, of course iron there's also there's 
issues when iron gets into, for example, water and it gets into contaminating food sources and all the neurodegenerative issues that come with that. So, of course, you know, those are things that we want to avoid, too. For sure. When it comes to those uh, heavy metals, right? Um, But uh, anything else on that uh, before we move on to the next clip? No, let's jump into the next one. Okay. You want to set up actually the next clip real quick? Oh, it's a continuation of that TED Talk. Okay, just a continuation. Okay, let's go in. Like I said, it's going to double in the next 25 years. How are we going to meet that demand? Well, let's just burn more stuff, right? Uh, I have a little bit of a problem with that. And the problem is that anytime we burn anything, we emit carbon dioxide and it goes up in the atmosphere. And most of you probably recognize that that leads to climate change. On the right is a dynamic plot of average global temperature since the year 1850. As that circle gets larger, that means it's getting hotter. You'll notice when it reaches present day that it gets pretty hot. And in fact, the four hottest years on record, anybody want to guess? 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018. Coincidence? I don't think so. But if you're a skeptic, and maybe you don't believe there's a connection between the plot on the left and the plot on the right, let me pose this question. Wouldn't it still be better if we didn't burn so much stuff? Let's save the stuff we can burn for where it's most efficient, like for generating heat. We've got lots of different ways we can generate electricity, many of them better than burning things. So let's come up with a new plan. Our new plan is going to be a five-step plan. We're going to have an enormous power plant. And let's make it a nuclear power plant. Ooh, silence. Uh, Maybe you don't like nuclear power. It's pretty clean, actually. The real reason that you don't like nuclear power is because you don't want it near you. So let's do it far away. And let's use fusion instead of fission. So let's put it very far away, let's say Kansas. (laughs) But I have relatives in Kansas and I still like a few of them. Um, So let's put it even further away. Let's put it 93 million miles away. Um, Fortunately, there's already a big nuclear power plant 93 million miles away and we call it the sun. Let's convert that nuclear energy to electromagnetic energy. It's just a fancy term for heat and light. And instead of running an extension cord to get that energy, let's beam it to the Earth in the form of heat and light. So Mother Nature's already taken care of the first three steps in our five-step plan. Pretty good, huh? Step four, we need to convert that to electrical energy. We already know how to do that. We have solar panels that work pretty efficiently and convert sunlight directly to electrical energy. And in fact, in many areas of the world today, it's cheaper to generate electricity from solar power than it is from natural gas or coal. Cheaper. Problem is, it's not always available when you flip the switch. So we need that last piece. We need that storage. Remember I said we need energy? We also need energy storage. So let's convert that electrical energy to chemical energy for storage. How are we going to do that? Well, how about a battery? Batteries are great, but they're kind of expensive. And they also have some nasty things in them. We need a new battery, and it's got to be really, really cheap. And let's get rid of the nasty stuff. So let's not use lead. That's horrible in the environment. Let's not use lithium. Uh, that lithium mining is horrible. Let's not use cobalt. Cobalt's mined by 10-year-olds in the Congo under unsafe conditions. Let's get rid of all that. And let's use organic materials, 
all organic materials, maybe a little water and a little salt. And then let's model our new battery after something that we know very well and has worked very well for over 100 years. The engine in your car, the internal combustion engine. <laughs> you guys think I'm nuts. <laughs> and that may be, but the test results don't come back till Friday. <laughs> but, but hear me out. If we model it after the car, we can make a battery that stores chemical energy in the form of liquids in tanks, just like the gas tank in your car. It's pumped to a central engine. In this case, the engine is an electrochemical cell rather than uh, the true engine that you're more familiar with, more, rather than an internal combustion engine. And that electrochemical cell can now convert our chemical energy into electrical energy directly cleanly, without CO2 emission, we've removed combustion from the internal combustion engine. Is this a pipe dream? Actually, these already exist. We know how to make these. And they work. They're not perfect, but we're striving to make them perfect. And I envision a day in the not too distant future where we have these giant batteries located next to solar farms. Solar farm collects the electrical energy we store it in the giant battery, which might be as big as this entire building, and then it's distributed out onto the grid to everybody who wants it. Well, almost everybody. What we're also working to do, and this is the cool part, we're working to make them smaller and cheaper, small and cheap enough to power small communities and even individual homes. And that way, we can disconnect from the grid entirely. We don't have to run the wires to every home that's 600 miles away from the nearest grid grid point. That gives us a way to finally bring 100% reliable solar-derived power on a 24-7 basis to those 1 billion people that didn't have it 15 minutes ago. Thank you. And that is his cell pitch. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot in there to discuss. Um, one of the things is the concept of um, basically decentralization and moving off grid. Um, mm -hmm. We've discussed in other podcasts the cost of trying to build the first build the the uh, the the infrastructure for the renewable energy, then build the transportation and tie-ins of the renewables into existing energy sources is expensive and. It is using uh, a concept of just like trying to tie in uh, tech new technologies with old technologies, you know, and that works because you're, you know, we know the old technology worked, the old grid system got energy to the right houses. But what I wonder is, is it possible to, in this transition, develop more of these off-grid locations that reduce the amount of cost that is associated with building new grid networks so that was one one part of uh his discussion which i think was worth investigating more uh i'll continue off what you were saying so uh, you were talking about the so when it comes to decentralizing the grid which is what that guy ends off of i think that's a great point that you brought up that it is an interesting thing to think about because decentralizing the grid 
it's kind of like this pipe dream that you have these freaking hippies or people that are trying to go off grid or like yeah, fuck you man we we'll go off grid whatever right but it comes from this idea of moving away into an independent system hmm. so let's just talk about that for a second because what he's talking about right there is a whole different ball game that now you're trying to bring into play right we have a centralized grid for a reason one of those reasons is safety and security we don't want well traditionally historically let's say they they historically didn't want to have all these different sources and inputs because that meant that things were outside of control for safety purposes now maybe it wasn't for safety maybe it was just for control in one centralized location whatever you want to get into those debates but regardless there are concerns when you're moving from centralized to a decentralized distribution with regards to your power so just as a reminder we have centralized power stations that kind of link to a centralized grid but what this guy is talking about is decentralizing those power units by i guess having more photovoltaic more solar having personalized flow cells that link to these batteries which would fundamentally move you away from the electrical grid well and hold on hold on because i actually i put those words into his mouth if you listen to the context of it he is when he's talking about the off-grid stuff he actually began at the beginning of the ted talk which wasn't uh, clipped here about uh there's one billion people that don't get reliable energy and the reason they don't get reliable energy is because they're so far away from the power source that they don't uh, they don't run the power lines out there so when he addresses that last bit it was kind of to close off um i don't think he's talking about a massive overhaul of decentralizing the grid that was something i brought up (laughs) but uh he's talking about more uh, that this technology like a small-scale nuclear reactor is a potential to solve the power reliable issue uh, reliability issues in those remote remote locations so just before you go off too far like like he, he's saying i know and i understand why you need to have uh centralized systems and especially for cities it would make absolutely no sense with the high population density and footprint that's taken up in cities to have individual uh energy productions throughout there and the safety concerns around like your building goes down and and blows up a, a you know some battery or something like that on a on a building and what is the you know potential risk there compared to having the actual generation plant outside the city and then you just bring the electrical in on lines and stuff like that i i, I get that i just Wait, so are you saying he's the the one billion that he refers to is that just people that are living in uh, like impoverished areas that don't receive electricity at all is that what he's saying he's going to bring power to them with this he's saying it's and now it's a impossibility yeah right but i think he i think like he's saying both though i think he's saying that right he's saying okay we're going to de- deliver power to these off grid not off grid but um to these h- hard to reach locations but it, to me, it sounded like he was also talking about moving away from decentralizing the grid as well. I don't think so. I, I think because he, at the end of it, that's kind of what isn't that what he said? Like about decentralizing the grid. Uh, he 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 brings up the um, no no the decentralization was 
he didn't even use the word decentralization. That was purely me uh, talking at the end there. No, oh, okay. I, I literally wrote it down. I made a note of it because he talked about it. I'm pretty. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I made, I'm. Uh, I was taking notes as he was talking, and it was like decentralizing the grid. I wanted to close this off, mm-hmm. discussing a current event, and that is Elon Musk becoming the richest person in the world right now. Um, surpassing Jeff Bezos. Um, yes, this sir. is quite a landmark. Um, you know, the Tesla CEO is now worth an estimated uh, $194.8 billion, um, which is $9.5 billion more than Bezos. Which Damn, That's got to hurt. That's got to hurt, that's man. That's got to sting the ego. You got all those Amazon, you know, <laughs> stores across the world. The lockdowns are helping them. Everything's going yeah. great for you. What's going yeah, on? Everything's going your way, man. You still freaking lost the lead? Jeez. <laughs> um, hey, props to Elon, man. Man's hustling. The man is hustling. <laughs> In fact, let me highlight some of the stuff. Um, I know you and I know a lot about his projects, but this guy is doing... Uh, he has Tesla electric cars, but with under Tesla, he has also a project called Solar City, which really looks at um, building these uh, wind and solar. Uh, well, prim- for Solar City, it's mostly wind, uh, or sorry, for mostly solar uh, <laughs> panels uh, combined with energy storage in the form of lithium-ion batteries. And uh, earlier clip mentioned the largest lithium battery energy storage plant in the world was built in Australia. Uh, so he has, you know, Tesla has designed uh, different size uh, products for this. So t- um, they have the Powerwall, which is f- for your home battery. Uh, they have the Power Pack, which is for commercial scale batteries, and they have the Mega Pack, which is designed for utility scale installations. Um, and so he's got he's got the electrical car market. Okay, he's got the solar panel market. He's got the Boring Company, which is drilling holes uh underground to alleviate traffic he's, he's like oh you know what flying cars are dangerous they could fall on your head they crowd up our skies let's make a network of holes under the planet to uh have cars uh drive around he has the hyperloop which is specifically a, a fast train uh rail system that's capable of traveling i think it's at uh, 800 miles per hour <laughs> uh with reduced drag um, and it's, I think the focus of it is travel between Los Angeles and San Francisco. He's got Neuralink, which is literally trying to connect the human brain to a computer. He's got SpaceX, uh, launching, you know, afford, making affordable rockets, making space travel a possibility. He wants to get to Mars. And within SpaceX, he has the Starlink, which is the 40,000 satellites that are going to orbit the planet to get everybody free internet so this guy's got a lot of irons Mm -hmm. in the in in, uh in the fire there and he's um you know Mm -hmm. he's an interesting character and the reality of this world is those that hold the money is where the projects are going to be you know are going to control the projects going to control the bill gates the jeff bezos and the elon musk of the world and the things that they fund are going to likely be uh shaping our future whether we like them or not um and i am I find Elon a curious character. You know, he is like this version of um, Tony Stark, but in (laughs) in real life. And, uh, you know, 
whatever you think about space travel, space travel is a weird one because we're an environmentalist, uh, you know, podcast. Uh, we're worried about um, safeguarding this planet uh, and the environment and stuff like that. And the pursuit of of space has environmental impacts and arguably i've always said i was well i've had the idea you know like if you're looking to uh if you're looking to populate mars it's almost in the concept is like you've given up on earth uh, in a sense but <laughs> this is not you know these are my own opinions but one thing about going to space which i think is extremely important um is it gives us perspective it gives humanity perspective and in a time when we are losing uh, our our ability to look at the night sky because of light pollution um, in cities and and really think about what it means to be on this planet and and the finite of our resources it's it's quite it's quite amazing and I recently saw this video um, which was posted on uh, by ISS the International Space Station. Um, which was an interview with an astronaut. Um, this was put out this year, January 1st, 2021. And uh, the astronaut of the interview is Colonel Benjamin, Benjamin uh, Alvin Drew. Uh, uh, he's a United States Air Force officer and former NASA astronaut. He has been on two space flights. The first was the space shuttle mission SDS-118 uh, to the International Space Station in August 2007. And again, he uh, Drew's second space flight took place in March 2011, and it was on the STS-133, and it was another mission to the International Space Station. But um, let's just—I wanted to play a clip from him because uh, I thought it was a very interesting way to think, and we need more of this. I, I don't—I only have seven clips. It should be number seven. Oh, right. I did not think the experience of spaceflight would change me. And I hear about these people going having this overview effect and they come back and like, what am I going to go experience out there that's going to change who I am? But it made me think about a lot of things. Uh, and so for the first part, uh, we all had that part where you, you're, you're seeing the Earth and you see yourself next to the Earth and you feel very tiny next to the Earth. Then you turn the other way and the Earth seems very tiny compared to the cosmos out there. And so you feel like you're two orders of magnitude down in terms of you know the size of things out there. All of life, all of the history of life, all of your life and everybody you know is in this little tiny membrane of air that sits on top of this planet and beyond that membrane of air is this abyss of space. It's just, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing life-giving about it. And that's it, that's all that separates you. And, and, and it makes you feel like we're in a very tiny spot out here. As big as the Earth seems, it, it, it seems suddenly very, very finite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I listen to that and I think it's such, it, it's a very important message to always remind ourselves about this because, you know, as he put it, as um, the TED Talk um, mentions, it, whether you believe in climate change, like the relationship between CO2 and, and the possibilities there or not, he talks about, um, you know, just let's focus on burning things where we want where best, they can be, best be used and what is the harm of diversifying 
our portfolio portfolio of energy um, generation. Even in that sense, like, you, you know, in an effort to maintain, you know, to sustain what we're doing on this planet, which is incredible, this, this little membrane on, on, on this rock um, for generations to come, we gotta, we gotta take care of it, you know, and, uh, and uh, so I, I think there is, you know, the need to, when you, when you look at space, there's just the need to put a, put aside, you know, okay, uh, these petty things about, oh, this is, uh, I'm going to win the argument, I want to da-da-da-da, like, at the end of the day, it, 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 there should be, there needs to be a, you know, a, a realization that, like, yeah, um, if this can provide some good, and 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 that good, you know, is going to be good for you, your family, and the rest of the world, and it's going to help us humans live longer, better lives. Then we should pursue pursue those things. But there are some things that we need to we just need to be cautious about as we're pursuing them, that they don't they don't do the opposite of what you know they uh, they're advertised to do, and that's something we've been talking on this podcast about, um, and uh, we'll continue to talk about. Um, those those topics. Yeah, I think it's it's critical to think of it like that because sometimes we can have these solutions that we think work, but in reality, they might not. And we need to be just mindful of that. That what got us from point A to B might not be what gets us to from from point B to C. You know, and they these energy kind of we talked about this before but yeah energy is a complex game and we need to be mindful of what's done initially for good intentions even though it starts off with good intentions how many times does that happen where it starts off with the right intentions in mind right we're doing this for environmentalism we're doing this for the planet we're doing this for future generations but then the idea gets hijacked by a corrupt few groups of people and they misuse the good intentions of, uh, intentions of, of the idea and the good intentions of the people that generally want to make some differences from these fundamental ideas but then they take it skew it misuse it and really pervert it from its original state so it's just something to also consider in in this discussion moving towards the good is good but who's deciding who's what's good Right, right. <laughs> There's that the moral dilemma over here. Exactly, and you know what? We're not going to get it right 100 percent of the time, and it's not even important that you agree with us 100 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. What's important is that we highlight that there are different ways to think about this, and other considerations that need to be brought into the conversation. And if you walk away from this podcast, and the only thing is that you've learned something new that allows you to um, listen to a solution that someone's putting for you and go, okay, that's good, but you know, I'll actually know this about it. And, and what about this, about this and, and, and have a clear understanding of what these things that you might be asked to vote upon or support, uh, you know, in, in, as you, as new governments come into play and new policies, you will be more informed to help guide us in a direction that, 
uh, well, all humanity in the in in a direction that will have a better outcome. I think, um, and and so yeah, again. We, we don't get we're, we're not going to get it right 100 percent time you don't need to agree with us but i hope you learned something from this podcast because that's really that was one of the key points here yeah we're, we're trying to learn at the same time and hopefully by us learning we're just trying to share what we're learning and maybe you guys can find some value in it too i think that's ultimately what it comes down to i want to push back on you though and say i, I don't know if i would describe this as an quote-unquote environmentalist podcast but rather we look at environmental subjects and try to analyze them from first principles because those are the things that interest us right we studied environmental engineering we studied that kind of stuff because it's what tickles our fancy for lack of a better term but uh, whether it would be fall under the term of environmentalist i don't know no i would say we are (laughs) in a way like uh we're anti-environmentalists in, in a sense like a, as a hero opposite heroes a villain then they're anti-heroes we, yes <laughs> but in it if you were to take our podcast I, I i would think a lot of people might take it as an environmental podcast right. but i do see the distinction and that's mm-hmm. part of the nuance that we try to highlight exactly screw them they can point their fingers they can think what they want we know what it is we know what we are screw them all pinky Here. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we talked a lot there. Uh, any final points on the uh, podcast there before we wrap things up? You know what? If you like what you're hearing, you know, on whatever um, app you're listening to this on, if you can write a review, give us a thumbs up, please do. It means a lot to us. Also, uh, check out our website. What's our website again? Firstprinciplespodcast.com. That's it. You can find us there contact us and if you have any questions feel free to email us there and we'll contact you back give us a response and if you have suggestions by all means send us those as well all right everyone catch you later peace peace